Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. Gavin Coates is a senior lecturer of landscape architecture at the University of Hong Kong. You may recall he was previously on the program when we looked at the trees and different stages of reclamation in Wan Chai. Hong Kong Park was built in 1991, and Gavin helped design some of the elements, including a long waterfall where many newly married couples have their photos taken. We started our tour at the top of the observation tower. Well, here we are in、uh, Hong Kong Park, and we're standing at the top of the lookout tower in the middle of the park. Last time we walked from Kennedy Road through Wan Chai to Gloucester Road, and, and we didn't get as far as the harbour, but we we saw that the city had developed over the years as a series of reclamations, areas of reclaimed land, progressively moving further out into the harbour. And we looked at the way that the what was mainly、um, commercial and Residential developments in in Wan Chai had、uh, changed over the years. The scale of the development, the scale of the urban development,、uh, of course, got bigger and bigger and bigger as time went on. Wan Chai kind of evolved. You know, it evolved、uh, as different stages of、uh, reclamation over the years. This has been very different.、Um, Hong Kong Park, Pacific Place, and the Admiralty government offices there were all part of Victoria Barracks. So they didn't develop in the same way.、Uh, not not at all. Now, Victoria Barracks developed over the years, right from the beginning of the, the when the British took Hong Kong, and we can see Flagstaff House down there. The Teapot Museum is、uh, dates from the mid 1840s. So this area remained unchanged in its development all the time from the 1840s. Uh, right up to the 1980s, and、uh, so it didn't go through that evolutionary process. What happened was that the Victoria Barracks was decommissioned in the early to mid 80s, and、uh, immediately everything was redeveloped, you know, as offices, government offices, and commercial and public park all at the same time. So it didn't go through that evolution. We've climbed up to.、Uh, you might hear the wind coming across the microphone. We'll move. We'll move down in a moment. But it's just amazing. I've never actually. I've come to Hong Kong Park so many times, but I've never come up to this observation point. And you need to just climb up a, a few steps. And we were both a bit puffy, huffy, puffy when we got to the top. But it's so worth it because you have this,、uh, uh, you know, view out.、Um, some very nice lush greenery,、uh, but also the various buildings that mark different stages of Hong Kong's development. Well, we, we, that's right. I mean, we can see the harbour, which is <gasps> wow. There it is, or at least a little bit of it.、Um, so you can, from this vantage point, you can look right down from the peak. You know, you can see mid levels over there. You know, and 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 we're looking down onto Central, you, over, and you can see this green lung over there, which is the which is the gardens of Government House and the botanic the botanic gardens. So like a forest, you know, right in the middle of the city there. And then here we are in in this other one, which is、um, uh, Hong Kong Park. You know, so the, this this fantastic. They、really, have this amazing green space, this green lung, right in the middle of the city. And and as you say, you can see the buildings from the whole of Hong Kong's history,、uh, right from Flagstaff House in the 1840s, right up to the you know the, the IFC and China Bank and all the rest of it. So,、uh, so it's actually a very interesting viewpoint, a rare viewpoint of the city. So yes, we'll get out of the wind and head back down to ground level here in Hong Kong Park. But as I say, if you can just、uh, muster up the energy on a hot day, it's it's、uh, well worth coming up here. 
106 steps. Well done, sir. So <laughs> we're back down at, uh, you know, we're next to the Avery, in fact, in uh, Hong Kong Park. Now, I came to Hong Kong in 1993, and uh, Hong Kong Park was already established. Uh, but when was it actually, how would you say, built, developed? Uh, well, in fact, I worked on the design of parts of the park, um, uh, and that was around 1987, something like that. I believe the park was opened about 1990 or 91, something like that. Yeah. Well, I very much enjoy uh, coming here. What I find always very interesting is the number of couples who are getting their wedding photos done ahead of the big day. Well, of course, yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, well, I didn't realise when we were working on the design that there was going to be a, a, a marriage registry in that building, but it turned out to be quite fortuitous. I mean, the waterfall uh, design that I worked on it must be in hundreds of thousands and millions of uh, wedding photographs, you know. So it's just Meringue Central. <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> One of the reasons why this was such a tremendous... Uh, location for a park and the, the cumbersome planning process you know did actually work in this case uh, this is a tremendous choice for a location for a park for a couple of reasons I mean one is, is obviously its location so close to the right in the middle of the urban area but the other thing is that because it was Victoria barracks and had been undisturbed and un, you know, been protected but as a military barracks for so long it has tr quite a impressive stock of mature existing trees and quite an interesting stock of uh, historic buildings so in fact there's the um, an art centre up on Kennedy Road which uses one of the original barracks buildings, there's Flagstaff House of course uh, and a couple of the other buildings that have been retained including the marriage registry so we had, the, is, that was so wonderful to have these, these existing buildings and existing trees to work around so when we go and have a look at this waterfall area, we'll, you know, I'll point out how we designed it to try and fit in with the existing trees. So shall I call it the Gavin Coates waterfall from now on? No, 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 no. Just call it the Hong Kong Park wonderful waterfall from now on. Wonderful waterfall. <laughs> so as we're walking through the park, I mean, the park uh, has a, a great collection of trees, and we just noticed this uh, Artocarpus macrocarpus here, jackfruit tree with two magnificent great jackfruit hanging off the off, Have they just been the put trunk. there? Or are they real? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> you don't want one of those to fall on your head though. Oh, it's rather lovely here. We've just uh, come inside actually <laughs> to grab a bit of aircon as well. But we've got some lovely orchids and um, this, is, so this is part of the conservatory. Uh, yes, the greenhouse has three main sections it has this sort of um, demonstration area if you like which at the moment has quite a uh, eclectic collection of different uh, orchids and other ornamental uh, what you'd normally see as house plants actually <coughs> um, and then there's a desert area up there you know sort of a <coughs> with, with cacti and various plants that can tolerate desert conditions and then there's a, a, a rainforest area which um, <clears throat> also has a little waterfall in it. So it's quite educational. Oh, oh yes, I mean, it's uh, because the, the climate here is, is subtropical, so you can't grow the same things that you can grow in Singapore or Malaysia um, in, in Hong Kong. Well, so, I mean, some of them, there are some species that can grow in both places, but um, the rainforest species can't survive <clears throat> outside here. That area is kept 
in Hong Kong summer weather like this, wet and very humid and and hot all the year round. So that's uh, to mimic you know the climate in the equatorial regions. Wow, we've gone from subtropical, a few orchids, and now we're in the desert. Yes, we are. And it's quite a nice echo, echo here. It is, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, here we are in this slightly surreal little desert here in the greenhouse. So this is actually a, a sort of a desert so greenhouse. Kind of, this is not really kind of, greenhouse, is it? It's more kind like, of Arizona. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, if you come here, be you know, don't trip over, all right? Don't fall, because there's all these agaves and euphorbias and cacti. And they have really, really spectacular spines, right? So advisable not to come here if you've had too much to drink or whatever. Today I'm discovering many things that I've never even looked at. Well, I mean, in about eight seconds you're going to be in a rainforest. Well, hey, let's go. So to use uh, Gavin Coates' favourite word, we're actually doing sort of a transect of the world climate. Yes, we are, that's right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're now in the humid plant house. It's actually a bit cooler, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah which is uh, mimicking the rainforest conditions. Um, of course, the plants are not that humid. The house is humid. The interior of the house is humid. It's, uh, so we, in here we have a collection of plants that would not grow. Uh, they would grow outside in the summer in Hong Kong, but then they'd be killed off in the winter in the cooler, dry weather. And, and we have a little waterfall coming down through here. Um, and that appears to connect through to the main waterfall which we'll see in a minute uh, as, as we walk out so we're, we're taking a path from the very highest um, sort of desert uh, room of, of, of the greenhouse and we start our little path coming down winding down and the whole the path is all designed to be able to be usable by wheelchair and if you're pushing a pram you know so so to work out on this steeply sloping site, as we walk down, you'll see that it, it was quite a lot of effort went into working out the levels and the contouring and the retaining structures. To make it a place the, for everybody. Yeah, to, to make everything as accessible as possible. Now this little tiddly waterfall here, you know, which I, I, I was, on my original sketches, this came from almost near the ceiling, you know, I mean... So is I this mean, the Hong Kong Park wonderful waterfall? This is the... 10% of a Hong Kong Park wonderful waterfall. Uh, <laughs> this is part of the design process. When you're involved with the design of, of, of any project, really, I mean, you're not doing it on your own. You're, on, you're part of a team. And, and, you know, there are many conflicting requirements and blah, blah, blah. So you know, sometimes you get your way, sometimes you don't. You know, in this particular case, I only got my way a little bit. Um, I was intending to have something much more spectacular coming out here because this is intended to look like the spring you know that the whole of the waterfall comes from but it's not <laughs> it's still very nice though oh yeah yeah i don't know what it is about i mean obviously there's uh, a lot in feng shui about about water and and um how that is defined but i i find you know coming in here the water gives off uh, real or imagined uh, there's a sense of coolness makes me feel relaxed mm. Well, that's that the, the sense of coolness is not uh, imaginary. I mean, the water, uh, moving water like this does, does help to cool the, the environment. Um, as for the symbolism of water, I mean, yes, there's a lot of different ways that water is interpreted and, and quite a lot of ways that Feng Shui looks at water. For example, if you have an office building and 
you design a waterfall with water flowing out, appearing to flow out of the building. This is not considered to be a very good thing because water is kind of an analogy for riches and for money. It's better to have water flowing in than flowing out. Of course, it has this extremely important symbolism because it's so crucial. Uh, we live in a rather bizarre society that calls a rainy day a bad day and, and, a, um, and a hot sunny day a, a good day. But if you're working outside, you know, or you're trying to grow crops outside, or um, that's not the way you you look at it. Um, and, and even in, in biblical terminology, for example, you know, water is seen as life-giving, which it is. I mean, you can't last a few days without water. So that water and rain is a life-giving thing. The sun and is seen as something that is. Um, uh, uh, is, is burning something that will harm you, you know, something that will uh, and uh, more and more people in this world now are going to find this out yeah we need as much water as possible and we need to create that water and conserve it yeah. well one way to do that is through is trees I mean forests are reservoirs you know, forests hold water trees like us uh, 75% water or whatever it is it's interesting what you say about planting trees because my father has always been a surreptitious tree planter like he'll go across right. if he's got a few saplings he'll go across to the school across the way and yes. and uh, you know and, and, and uh, these small young trees begin to grow and become bigger trees and he's, he's been an advocate of this for decades um, here in Hong Kong you're obviously living in a very urban uh, environment but as you've proven in our previous transect walk in um, Hong Kong, there's are plenty of ways of encouraging trees that are suitable for an urban landscape. And here in Hong Kong Park, of course, we've got this lovely green lung. For uh, people living out in the countryside or even people um, living in urban areas, what are ways? Can, can individuals, do you think, help with this tree planting? Yes, in, within the urban areas, of course, you can't really take <coughs> direct action, at least not legally in most cases. Uh, because everything, you know, the land, the land is tightly controlled. You know, the, the, the particular area, the, you know, the government controls which area will be uh, open space, which will be planting area, etc., etc. So, uh, I don't recommend to people to go around town with a pickaxe, you know, breaking holes in the footpath and planting trees, unless they want to get arrested. I mean, I think it's a great idea, right? <laughs> but it's safer for the individual to try and arrange this by. Uh, putting pressure on the government rather than doing it by themselves. I think just contributing also perhaps financially to organisations who are uh, uh, planting trees. Yeah, I would say that any kind of support for organisations that are trying to stop you know, the grain forests from being chopped down uh, anywhere is a, is a great thing to do. And to, um, so that to be part of um, organisations that, that are active to try and stop deforestation and to foster reforestation I mean, there's so much information out on the internet or what have you. You can find out about this. So it's not difficult to find out about organisations that you could support like this. Because Thailand is also, I mean, I noticed recently that they're out of, uh, out of planes. They're just dropping loads of seedlings. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know who's organising that. I don't know any, really very much about that, although I also saw that information. There are also some organisations in in Hong Kong that are actively planting trees in the countryside in Hong Kong. Because I know the People's Liberation Army have also uh, yes. gone on tree planting yeah, yeah, yeah. Sundays. Yeah. No, there are various green groups which are actively uh, undertaking 
planting of predominantly native species um, on the hillsides here. And so you can arrange to go out as a family or as a school group or as a... Um, uh, I took some of my students from Hong Kong U. We went out to Peng Chau, planted some trees on the hillside. There. So what trees would you plant? What uh, local, local yeah, species? Yeah, they're, they're local native species, although you do have to be um, aware of which ones will tolerate the exposed conditions or not. The thing is that the native species are native because this was all subtropical jungle. 5,000 years ago this was jungle. So the native species are adapted to grow in a jungle. Now, you might, might have noticed that it's not a jungle anymore. We removed the jungle, and then if we go out and plant native species, many of them cannot tolerate it because we're not planting them into their natural environment. We're planting them into the desert that we created. So that's why, historically, a lot of non-native trees have been brought in in order to provide greening or to protect catchment areas for reservoirs or to stabilize slopes. The native plants have not been able to do this. So um, that's why a lot of acacia trees and melaleuca, this sort of thing, have been introduced from Australia, many from Australia uh, or from India, because these trees can tolerate the desert conditions that we've created. Now, now what's interesting is that now some of these acacia plantations on slopes and that that were planted in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, those trees are now getting senile. I mean, they're, 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 they're fast-growing, uh, desert uh, invasive species. They grow up quickly, but they also die off quickly. And, but in their protection, many native saplings uh, start to come in. It might not be a very balanced cross-section of species, not like the original forest, but it's progress in the direction of the original forest re-establishing itself. <clears throat> of course, we can speed this process up. The thing that's been missing in, in Hong Kong is the management of these areas. So it actually makes sense to use these Australian or Indian species to, to create the environment for the native saplings to be able to grow up in. And then as they grow up, then there should be a management system to re progressively remove the non-natives in favour of the native species. But that management has never been, it's just never happened in Hong Kong. We're just looking down at some lotus leaves. We are indeed. Yeah. And some uh, Victoria Cruziana, the giant water lily, which are these, look at these magnificent leaves here coming out. This is, um, we're still uh, high up in this sort of water system here in Hong Kong Park. If you look just up there, you can see, you can see where that, that water was bubbling up for the main waterfall. And this is a little stream, on the, a little stream if you like, on the side. And here, a, a low, a shallow pool was created so that we've got um, an environment for uh, aquatic and semi-aquatic plants, you know, like, like the lotus water, hyacinth, oh, here's a bit of ginger. We've got you know, various sort of wet swampy loving plants here so that we can and you can hear the frogs right you hear the frogs chirping away in the mud this is a one little little sort of swampy corner if you like can you do a frog sound well i can the, the, there are these frogs right that live on llama and lantau the, the bullfrogs that, <clears throat> and they go something like this <coughs> And then there are the little ones you can hear down here. 
They sound like cows, but they're only the normal-sized frogs. (laughs) Yes, I have to say, when I first went to Lantau, uh, more than 20 years ago, I actually thought I was looking for cows. I didn't realise that was the sound of frog. But last time, we had Gavin Coates, a lecturer in landscape architecture from Hong Kong U, on the programme. We were doing the transect from Kennedy Road down through Wan Chai, and uh, Gavin kindly produced the sound of a sampan. So I think it is a tradition now, Gavin, that every time you come on Hong Kong Heritage... So be warned that you will be asked to produce some kind of sound. Okay, I better keep in practice. (laughs) We're just uh, entering inside the rock face here. So this is, you know, we're coming into this sort of mysterious cave right in the middle of Hong Kong. And what's interesting about this is that all of this rock is artificial. The whole thing is completely artificial. It's been very artistically done. I think the the contractor at the time got in some artists from California. I seem to remember who who produced these the, you know, this this um, artificial rock surface over the top of some conventional retaining walls. So what I did in the design process was to design the contouring position the the layout of the path and all of that after the retaining walls were constructed then this artificial rock surfacing was put over the top so for example if i tap on this rock it doesn't sound like i'm tapping on a rock because i'm not tapping on a rock (laughs) (laughs) i'm tapping on some kind of fiberglass or uh, uh, glass reinforced concrete or whatever it is Um, and so if you you come around here and tap on tap on this rock face you'll find that quite a lot of it sounds hollow because it is but it's lovely I mean you come down here it's again this cooling effect of the waterfall there's an aspect of Indiana Jones about it particularly with Gavin Coates and his hat Um, and uh, um, but yeah they've done such a good job I wouldn't have automatically said that this was false so here we are right in behind the main waterfall and we've got quite a you can hear the rush of the water so it's and it's really nice it's cooling here and and so, yeah, you're right. I was trying to create this kind of Indiana Jones, although I'd never heard of Indiana Jones then, but uh, as I was trying to create this, I wanted you to feel as if you'd, your Tarzan might appear on the liana any minute, you know, across, the, across this piece of water. When you look through the waterfall, and then you can see the China Bank looming over and all these other the tower blocks of Central behind. So it's quite an interesting juxtaposition of, this, of the, you know, the financial centre of the city with this rustic environment here. Right, so, so here we are, we're standing in the position where most uh, newly married couples like stand with the waterfall in the background here. And, and you can really see, I mean, what a good job they did of this um, of the, the artificial rock um, on the rock face there. It's quite convincing, especially now, uh, years later, when the climbing plants, you know, and these scramblers and that ficus pumilla and this philodendron are also starting to flop over and integrate this rock face with the surrounding vegetation. But just a quick word about these fake rocks. I mean, I, I, I'm a great fan of artificial rock, providing it's done professionally. And the reason being, uh, I try to dissuade people, designers, from using real rocks for, for several reasons. One is, if you're taking real rock from somewhere, or you're taking it from somewhere, and you don't know where it's coming from. You may recall some years ago that Tung Chung Stream, there was a, a scandal about Tung Chung Stream on Lantau, where real rocks were taken, and then they kind of appeared 
in somewhere not far from Disney, I believe. If you're using real rocks, well, yes, you might add something to your project, but you're taking something away from another place, which could well be very ecologically sensitive and significant. The other thing is that natural rock is unbelievably heavy, so it's extremely difficult to manoeuvre large boulders or to create that effect of that waterfall in natural rock this is virtually impossible from a technical point of view because you can't lift lumps of rock that big without an absolutely massive crane uh, so that the cost is absolutely prohibitive. The third reason is that, that human beings are simply unable to arrange real rocks so they look like real rocks. You know, they always just look like Christmas puddings and you know, only the Lord God Almighty knows how to arrange rocks. You know. <laughs> and occasionally you might get some Japanese Zen artists who can arrange three or four rocks, you know, with a bit of sand. You know. But generally speaking, human beings are not able to arrange real rocks so that they look like real rocks. You're actually better off getting uh, a high-quality professional in to do good-quality artificial rock, which overcomes all of these problems. Now here we've got... We've got fish, we've got terrapin having a nice swim around. So what's your terrapin sound like? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't translate to radio. Yeah, you've got the face right. Oh, thank you, yeah. <laughs> That's not difficult. <laughs> I mean, firstly, you can see that people really like it. I mean, I mean, even here, as you said, in the middle of the week, there's a whole bunch of people sort of wandering around enjoying this spot. So it's a... Uh, it's really exciting to come back to a project that you worked on even decades ago um, and see that people are using it and enjoying it. So there's a tremendous satisfaction in that. So for And it's something that um, you know, I try to get across to, the, to my students and, and to anybody who's interested in landscape architecture or wants to follow landscape architecture. This is there's such a tremendous satisfaction in seeing people enjoy an environment that you created you know, and, and it's there for you know this is a legacy it will hopefully be here long after I am but the other and you'll see here that there's a couple of these um, mango trees standing here now these were existing trees if we walk along here for a minute you can see that they're actually part of a row of mango trees quite old mango trees running all the way along here and and the Lakes, you know, and, uh, and the waterfalls and the footpaths have been weaving in between these existing trees. And that's very deliberate, of course. We, when this was designed, we made every effort to try and keep the existing trees because they're an asset to the site. You can't buy trees like this. That, that's a, a very important part of the design as well, to fit in with the site that you know, the, the, what we have here. And the reason why the big waterfall is where it is is because there were no trees there. That, that, that was a, a big concrete slope and here was some horrible 1950s office building with ICAC offices in it or something and I mean the old Victoria barracks had quite a few heritage buildings as we can see some of them but also had quite a few ugly monstrosities that have been added in over the years and so this big slope here which is totally ugly and useless and that horrible building were removed and there were no trees there, so that gave us space to play around with the retaining walls, change the levels and build up this whole waterfall area without affecting the existing trees. The fact that they're mango, I mean, there's uh, part of the heritage left over from the, from the fact that it was a British Army barracks, you know, the trees 
were species were brought over primarily from India or from Singapore and planted here. No, they're not the species that would be recommended today you know, by certainly not the maintenance department of the park. And, uh, and uh, most designers wouldn't choose that species now. But it, so it's a piece, piece of the heritage of the place as well. So heritage is not just buildings, you know, heritage is streets and trees and the whole infrastructure around the buildings as well. My thanks to Gavin Coates, Senior Lecturer of Landscape Architecture at the University of Hong Kong. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.